Unwritten contains mature language, content, and themes. Please listen with care. One week after their road trip, Chelsea lies alone on her bed, staring at the ceiling. Her nightlight projects the constellation Pisces. Come in. Elaine enters the room as a silhouette. She glides through the dark toward the bed and falls backward onto it. Mattress springs creak as she settles herself next to Chelsea. They both look up at the artificial stars. Nightlight again, huh? Can't sleep. I guess I'm just a little nervous about tomorrow. I understand. We did so much to help organize the protest. If you want to back out, I wouldn't blame you at all. You did your part. You can leave the rest to us. No, no, I have to speak up too. I can't hide just because Gerald's my boss. Chelsea, really? I don't want to put you in- Let it be, Lainey. I've already made up my mind. Elaine remains silent. Chelsea raises her right hand and outlines Pisces with her pointer finger. She starts from the left and slowly follows the strip of light to the final star. Chelsea gets up and walks to the bedroom window. She opens the blinds to a cloudless night sky. Her eyes remain fixed, looking out across the dark field, lightly freckled with shimmering pinpricks of light. When I was little, I learned the most common constellation first, the Big Dipper. Mm, I think I might have heard of that one once. I never noticed it before, but now I see it before I see anything else up there. It's honestly kind of depressing. You're right. Anything camp-related is depressing now. Chelsea turns from the window and looks at Elaine, still lying on the bed. Well, yeah. Anything related to camp has kind of been ruined. But no, that's not what I mean. It, it doesn't even really exist. We take a group of stars, assign them to one another, and form invisible lines. It doesn't exist, but we still can't unsee it. You're starting to sound a little bit like me. Well, I mean, isn't it just something made up? Someone grouped some stars together, gave it a name. Now it hangs up there ruining the rest of the sky for all of us. But how do we unlearn it? How can we unlearn a constellation so that we can truly see the stars? It's the same with how we view anything. Race, gender, religion. We put people in boxes, draw up a bunch of invisible lines, and then call them Leos. We say that they're compatible with people of Aquarius and assign them certain traits. That's why we're doing what we're doing. We're trying to erase those lines. Or at least draw attention and awareness to them. That's why I'm going to the protest tomorrow. People don't see Gerald for who he really is because of the pre-existing line he's labeled for himself. Every time people look at the school, they see him. He's set himself up as the Big Dipper. I want to help erase those lines and expose him. Chelsea walks over to the power outlet and pulls out the nightlight. Darkness floods the room. Chelsea turns back toward the window and looks out once again at the night sky. She raises up a fist with her middle finger extended. Fuck you, Big Dipper. Got it all. It's just unwritten, not putting it off. Just trying to figure it out. If what I say comes to for 
permission with these words I can't play around walking on wires without a name ending up alone it hasn't happened yet joke around hiding up sweeten the taste of what they're putting in your cup I'd have dropped the course in August Dayton Writers Movement presents Unwritten, starring Luna Madison, Jordan Lopez, David Senator, and I'm Sean Gunther. Season 2, Episode 10, Working Title 9. Written by Tavis Taylor, directed by Chris Burnside. Also starring Aaron Ryan, Norb Wessels, Amanda Schrader, Hope Azell, and Donald Smith. A week earlier. Chelsea and Elaine are driving home from their road trip to see Aunt Ellen and Sue. They listen to Maggie's voicemail a third time. Chelsea tightly grips the steering wheel. Elaine watches her, concerned. We're almost there. Focus on the road. Call her again. Chelsea, her text said she can't talk now. We'll be there soon. I'm sure she'll tell us everything. I just don't understand. Why would... Why would Gerald not do something to stop Brian if he knew? I know Gerald's bad, but this is another level of evil, and he was so upset about the negative publicity. Why not put a stop to it if he could? No sense in speculating now. We'll evaluate when we hear the whole story. Chelsea takes a deep breath and composes herself, but she maintains a punishing grip on the steering wheel. We'll evaluate how we're going to destroy him, you mean. Elaine and Chelsea sit anxiously in the Women's Center's quiet basement conference room. Chelsea stares at the broken clock. You told her where we'd be, correct? The Women's Center was her idea. Right, right. Hope she doesn't bail. I'm sure she'll be here soon. Chelsea looks around as if Maggie might be hiding in the room already. She puts her phone to her ear and listens to Maggie's voicemail again. In the middle of the replay, the door opens and Maggie peers in. Ms. Wu? Ms. Harper? Chelsea fumbles her phone and nearly drops it. Uh, Maggie! Come in. Sit down. Elaine motions to an empty chair. Maggie closes the door behind herself and sits. How are you? I guess I'm fine. Good. That's really good. What the hell is going on? Maggie nervously chews her lip. It's okay, Maggie. Take your time. I kind of feel like I'm spreading gossip or something. You said that Dean Wagner had advanced knowledge of the hate crimes. It's very serious, not just gossip. I guess so. I didn't really think anything more about it until, well... Until what happened to both of you. It was on the news. They mentioned both of you and Brian, the guy who did it. How was Gerald involved? What did he have to do with Brian? It's kind of a long story, actually. So, months ago in July, I think, over the summer, I worked at Rereads on 4th. The color drains from Elaine's face. Maggie notices. Yeah, that one. Across from his house. Holy shit. I guessed he lived nearby. He had to. He always walked there. He came in daily, just sitting and reading books. Almost never bought anything. He sometimes brought the dog some treats, 
I think he talked to it more than anyone who worked there. Being so close to him all summer. God, I'm so glad you're okay. I got a bit of a vibe from him. Not creepy, just intense. But I never really felt unsafe. He wasn't like that. At least, he didn't seem like that. Anyway, I noticed him reading a book on tarot cards one day, and then another the next day. A couple days later, he buys a bunch of different books about tarot. And then, a week after that, the graffiti on campus started using that sword symbol from the tarot cards. And you connected the symbol to him? It was just a guess, but yeah. Intense guy, never really smiled, sudden interest in tarot cards right before the symbol was used. Just felt too coincidental. Where does Gerald fit in? I went with him a little after that, told him about the symbol, gave him the dude's name. He said he remembered him from when he had been a grad student here. He said he'd look into it and share it with the campus police. He never mentioned anything to me about this. We could have investigated. Was that all he said? Was he concerned? Did he seem dismissive? I mean, maybe not dismissive. Just, I don't know, preoccupied? Like he was talking to me about the graffiti and whatnot, but he was more interested in discussing it at the task force. I'd just been added to it. It was more of a bullet point on his agenda than a legit concern. That sounds about right. Anyway, I didn't really think more about it. The graffiti continued, so I figured it must not be that Brian guy because Dean Wagner already had him investigated. And then yesterday, I saw him on the news, video of his arrest, and I realized that it was the same guy I warned Wagner about months ago. That bastard! Of course he saw the graffiti as a great excuse to promote his inclusion initiative bullshit. He probably hoped the vandalism would continue. But when people started getting hurt, he couldn't exactly go after Brian. What would he say? I knew about this guy months ago. So he just ignored it. I mean, I assume that's what he did, yeah. Maggie, why did you go to him? Why not come to me? Maggie looks away, suddenly uncomfortable. I would have followed up. You know I would have. Ms. Wu, I did. Well, I tried to tell you. I wrote you, remember? In the summer? When I came to your office, you said you were too busy to talk that week. I tried to make another appointment, but you never got back to me. Oh, shit. No, I'm sure you were busy. You seemed distracted. What were you working on? You didn't tell me about any big summer projects. It was, um, I was just having a rough patch. Maggie, I am so sorry. I know that's no excuse. It's okay, Ms. Wu. It's not your job to catch the bad guys. No, but maybe things wouldn't have escalated if I'd just been present. Poor Michaela might not have been attacked. Elaine wouldn't have had to risk her life to save mine. Elaine puts her hand on Chelsea's shoulder. Chelsea looks at her with a mix of anguish and surprise. Have you had any contact with Gerald recently? Just when the three of us were in Ms. Wu's office and he came in. He hasn't tried to make contact? Not really. He could still be keeping an eye on you all the same. You know something that could hurt him. That's not his style. He thinks he's untouchable. He just thinks Maggie is some dumb girl. He strides around campus past people he's hurt every day and doesn't give a fuck. I highly doubt he'd give her a second thought unless he really believed she would call him out. All the same, Maggie, you should be careful. Don't tell anyone you know about this. Or that you met with us. Not even your friends. I won't. But would he really do all that just to get attention for his task force? He's a complicated person, but... Yes. Yes, he absolutely would. I can't believe he's becoming president in a few days. Thanks for coming to us, Maggie. We'll handle this from here on. We're already on Gerald's bad side. No need for you to join us there. But I want to help. Just lay low. We'll be in touch. Maggie nods grimly. 
She gives Chelsea a half-hearted smile, but Chelsea isn't paying attention. Maggie leaves the conference room and closes the door. Are you okay? I just hate myself right now. That's all. You're usually not like that with students. Like what? What did I do? You were just... less professional than usual. <laughs> Gee, thanks. Elaine recoils and looks down at the table. I'm sorry. Fuck, let's just go home. I need sleep. It's been a really, really awful day. Yeah, sure. The next day, Elaine and Chelsea sit at a window table inside Buffalo Cafe doing work on their laptops. The walls of the shop are covered in local artists' renditions of the American Buffalo. Above the window where they sit hang three sets of horns made from industrial metal. You know, one of those sets of horns would fit Gerald perfectly. <laughs> Get him a pitchfork and spiked tail and his image might actually match his personality. <sighs> The devil would be quite offended to be related to such a vile and evil creature. <laughs> Elaine scrolls through news articles on her laptop as Chelsea sips her drink. She stops at an article that reads, Hate speech spray-painted across California campus. Elaine clicks on the link and begins to read. Chelsea peers over Elaine's shoulder. What's that? Look at what someone spray-painted across another school student union. Chelsea begins to read, mouthing the words as she goes along. That's despicable. You're telling me. Chelsea, her current event palette now wetted, begins to scroll through news articles on her own laptop. I found another one. What does it say? Offensive human effigy found on Iowa campus quad. What is wrong with people? Here's another one from a couple months ago. Atlanta school uncovers hate group meeting at campus library. I give up. People start seeing this shit and then think it's okay for them to do the same thing. It's like they're sending off flares through media. And at all these universities, it's like people are picking up on cues and going along with them without even thinking. That's mob mentality for you. No think, just do. You'd think history would have taught us not to do that. I've grown to learn that history has seemingly taught us nothing. The social and moral aspects, at least. Elaine starts typing furiously, brow furrowed in concentration. Looks like Lainey's got some gears turning in that pretty little head of hers. You gave me an idea for a blog article. Mob mentality transcends our previous notions of a physical group. Welcome to the digital age. Internet as mob. Pretty accurate. The real question is, how do these things keep happening? Where's the crackdown? Gerald can't be the only one milking incidents for his own agenda. Oh, he's definitely not. There must be more administrators like him. He wouldn't have gotten the presidency without his whole inclusion angle, and inclusion looks a lot more necessary when someone is being violently exclusive. I'm still baffled at how someone who doesn't even see women as human beings can promote inclusion. I don't think he considers anyone on his level. To him, equality is just equalizing all the ants who are already beneath him. He's a rapist. He allowed the hate crimes to continue. What else do you think he's allowed? I don't even want to think about it. You know he's in charge of the Title IX report doesn't seem right. Or legal. Elaine does a search and quickly skims a few articles. Look, so many other schools are spinning off their Title IX offices to be autonomous. That way one corrupt creep can't ignore whatever he wants to. You just know he's overlooked reports beyond his own. He's always saying how people all over the school owe him. I'm sure that's a big part of it. How many other offenders are still working with students because he did them a favor? Well, think of how many reports there are. 
I saw the file room. It was packed. And how many people has the university actually expelled or fired over the years? The gap is a lot higher than the margin of error for groundless claims, that's for sure. Exactly. Tell me again why we're still at this school. Didn't we just establish that other schools would also be like this? Yeah, they're all corrupt, but do they all have rapists for presidents? Good point. Yeah, let's just move. I'll get right on that after I body slam Gerald out the window. Would we maybe avoid imagery of people falling from windows? Shit. Sorry, I didn't mean I know. I still miss her. Me too. They sit in silence for a few moments. Come on, it's almost time to meet Devin. I have some ideas about what we should work on. Elaine, Chelsea, and Devin sit at a picnic bench on the outskirts of campus. Chelsea tilts her head back, graciously accepting the comfort of a soft breeze, while Devin and Elaine sit next to each other, both working off of her laptop. Thanks for helping me with the web design. I think the blog needed a little flair. Your definition of helping is suspiciously similar to most people's definition of forced labor. I didn't force you to do anything. My definition of forced is suspiciously similar to most people's definition of voluntary. Does that explain our voluntary friendship? Devin makes the sign of the cross at Elaine. Sarcasm. Exuberance. It must be fired up about something. It smells blood in the water. I am fired up. My last article blew up a little more than expected. I think I should use that momentum to make my next article about Gerald. Chelsea snaps out of her daze. How so? Discuss the illegitimacy of his candidacy based off of what people already know, even if they are just rumors, and his lean toward PR over students' actual well-being. I don't know. That sounds kind of risky. If Gerald catches wind of you being so direct and fighting him, who knows what he'll do? That's why I was thinking about making it an opinion piece that discusses people aiming for high positions with the same motives. I wouldn't even have to mention his name. I have enough followers from the school. They would know who I was talking about. Sounds cautious and thoughtful. I like it. Consider it Chelsea approved. Also, I'd compare him to famous people who have similar tendencies. So many to choose from. And bonus, you still get to write about corrupt pervs. Devin, I like your style. <laughs> Thank you both. I guess sometimes I can be more than just the generic IT guy. But we love that you can also be the generic IT guy. So many examples I could use. Hollywood, politics, anywhere with men. Also money. Men and money are a bad combination. This sounds like it could be a pretty good article. I just hope I can do it justice. Devin reaches into his backpack and pulls out his own computer. Chelsea understands his motive and does the same. We can help. I bet together we could find some scary similar examples. Is it weird if I search perverts in powerful positions on my work computer? I think the people behind the curtain would appreciate the alliteration, at least. Um, I don't think I would ever use the words pervert and positions in the same internet search. That evening, Elaine sits on a bench outside the campus library, texting Chelsea. She watches people walk in and out of the building. Sydney walks out the front door and catches a glimpse of Elaine. She double-takes, then heads straight in her direction, face scrunched and hands in tight fists. Elaine sees her coming and quickly texts Chelsea. Sydney's coming. Looks mad. Must have read the article. 
SOS. You bitch. Hi, Sydney. I read what you wrote on your blog. You have no idea what you're talking about. I don't understand what you're so mad about. It's an act of libel. You can't just deliberately try to ruin someone's reputation by comparing them to awful people. Elaine takes a deep breath and remains calm. I have no idea who you're talking about. All I did was compare some people in history and the outcomes of their influence. Don't play dumb with me. It's obviously about Gerald. I can't say I recall writing the name Gerald anywhere in that article. Are you implying that Gerald is also a man who abuses his power and hurts the people he's supposed to help? I don't know why you would defame someone like him. He's a good man. He cares about other people. And he's probably the most intelligent person on this campus. Elaine looks at her phone and sees Chelsea's text reply. Ignore her. She always has her head up her own ass. Or his. Elaine stifles a laugh. Sydney glares at her phone. What's so funny? Is that about me? I barely know you. Why would I get a text about you? I mean, honestly, Sydney, that's a pretty immature thing to assume. And yes, it, it was about you. You think you're so funny, don't you? Go, hide behind your vague writing and your childish jokes. You'll get what's coming to you. Sydney storms off. Elaine watches her for a moment, then calls after her. You should try not to call people misogynistic terms like bitch. It just helps keep us oppressed. And I'm sure it's not something he'd want a leader of the Inclusion Initiative Task Force saying. Sydney turns and glares at Elaine one last time, seething, before she leaves. <laughs> Elaine looks down at a text from Sarah. Walk and talk. I've been sitting inside all day and I'm going stir-crazy. Sarah meets Elaine at the library. Elaine swings her backpack over her shoulder and the two walk. I read your recent blog post and wanted to talk about it. Oh, yeah? What'd you think? I thought it was really good. It was obvious who it was about, but you didn't point fingers, and you really didn't directly involve anyone. It was very tactful. Thanks. That means a lot. Listen, I don't think that you should be the only one fighting this battle. You're at the forefront alone when plenty of people with the same convictions could be helping you. I don't know if it's a good or bad idea to involve more people. I don't want anyone else to get hurt. You can't always be the martyr, Elaine. I understand what you're saying, but I mean, my reputation has pretty much already been ruined. I can take the heat if worse comes to worst. Why should anyone else? Because if more of us don't resist, nothing will get done. I, I don't know, Sarah. Have you been successful yet on your own, other than gaining a readership? No offense, I should have phrased that better. No, no, you're right, though. A single bird swoops from tree branch to sky. It hovers in front of the blue backdrop before being joined by a flock. I'm just one person. I tried doing what I could alone, and we all know how that worked out. A.K.A. I ended up in a mental rehab. Your blog has plenty of followers. I'm sure a lot of them would be willing to help, including me. I think we should try a unified effort. What were you thinking? I don't think we can do anything that will deliberately prevent Wagner from gaining office but we could at least somehow make our voices loud enough to be noticed. How so? A strike. A strike? Or perhaps a protest. I could organize it. I can post an article on your blog about a meeting discussing Gerald's presidency. You won't seem like the one organizing it. And I don't think Gerald would go after me, considering what happened. That's not a bad idea. 
And we can discuss logistics at the meeting? Yeah, but I think it should be an open dialogue. Everyone should be able to pitch ideas. This needs to be a total group effort, especially if we want to succeed. Okay. Where and when should this take place? I was thinking one of the classrooms in the English department. I've already talked to the chair and found a room open in the evenings. Maybe in two days? The flock of birds flies toward the sun. Elaine, Chelsea, and Sarah sit around the kitchen table in Chelsea's apartment, waiting for Devon to arrive. Does anyone want anything? Tea? Coffee? A massage? Not this trick again. What do you mean? She wants me to give her a massage. You see what I have to deal with every day? <laughs> tricky, tricky. I think we could all use a massage, but I'm going to pass on all three. I'll take a cup of tea, please. Chelsea puts a kettle of water on the stove. I'll get it. Elaine opens the door to Devon and invites him in. Dinah follows his feet in hot pursuit. Devon stops in the living room and points to the couch with Elaine's pillow and blanket on it. You two have company? No, that's, that's where I sleep. Oh, sorry. Awkward. Why is that awkward? I just didn't mean to pry. Chelsea pops in. Hey, Devon. Want some tea? Um, no thanks. You're not making any sense, Devon. How is that awkward? I just didn't know you were sleeping on the couch, so obviously awkward. Where else would I sleep? It's a one-bedroom apartment, and oh my god, you thought we were sleeping together. Excuse me? I I've never been over before, and you two are clearly very close, and you're always together, and you talk about Chelsea constantly. You do? And Chelsea look- I mean- I assumed she was gay. Excuse me again. And I can't believe I'm just now realizing that you aren't together. Elaine is completely red. Her mouth hangs open. Chelsea stares at Devin wide-eyed. Sarah walks into the room. Hey, Devin. I'm Sarah. What's going on? Did something happen? You could say that. Can I disappear? I want to disappear. Why would you still think that after we went separately to the engagement party? I... Just thought you were, you know, having a thing. A thing? Like a sleeping on the couch thing. I am an idiot. But you knew about her and August. So she can't date a girl, too? She told me they weren't even physical. I feel like I walked into something that I shouldn't have. Devin, I think my relationship with Chelsea is obvious to anyone but you. In my defense, Chuck totally thinks it, too. He does? Jesus, Elaine! What, do you go around work talking about my ass all day? Wait, are you saying you two aren't a couple? What the actual fuck? Should I just go? I should just go. It might be a good- Nope. You're staying, nerd. We're all going to sit and drink tea and plan a protest to forget this entire conversation. But I don't like tea. Shut up. Kitchen. Tea. Now. They enter the kitchen, single file. They sit at the table in awkward silence while Chelsea fills four mugs with boiling water and tea bags. She gives one to each of them and sits down with her own. I didn't actually want- Not a fucking word, lover. Devin stifles a laugh. Elaine tries to give Chelsea a look but bursts into giggles. Chelsea puts her hand over her mouth to cover a smile. Should we maybe just talk about our ideas? <laughs> yes, please talk. Yesterday, I put a post on Elaine's blog setting up a meeting in the English department to discuss Gerald's inauguration. It's 
going to be an open dialogue about the best way to oppose him through a protest. Elaine and Devon are still red from embarrassment, but they compose themselves enough to pay attention. I got a lot of positive comments. Elaine has a lot of followers. Devon, can you set up a blog email with the website as a domain so I can email people that gave positive feedback directly? Cake. Cake sounds delicious. Should we bring refreshments for this meeting? Chelsea, I'm going to leave you in charge of that. Oh, so now I'm just your Chinese lesbian caterer. Chelsea, that, that isn't even a stereotype. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'll bring fortune cookies. Elaine ignores her and continues. Sarah, if you want to maybe create an outline, just so we have some sort of direction during the discussion. I can do that. Elaine claps her hands together. She inhales deeply and straightens her posture. All right, let's get to work. Anything you say, babe. Chelsea winks at Elaine. Elaine glares at Devon. Do you see what you've done? She'll bring this up constantly now. Only on days ending in Y. Later that night, all four are lounging in the apartment, working on their laptops. All right, I've finished the email blast. Thanks again for helping me set it up, Devon. No problem. So, I've been looking into those different hate crimes in the news, and it seems like some of them have actually somehow been influenced by faculty and staff. Really? Yeah, here's one that I found. A faculty member at a university in Pennsylvania has been covering up frequent hate crimes and abuse on campus for a couple years now. Even a couple of people higher up than him have been covering up his tracks. Incredible. And a couple other universities have similar situations. I wonder how many stories haven't even broken the surface. That's what I'm thinking. Maybe you should write another article. Kind of like the last one about the hate crimes, but more directed towards the power of people in their institutions. It takes a village to look the other way. That's not a bad idea. Yeah, you could point out similarities in how much we probably don't know due to cover-ups. Exactly. It's not breaking news that most universities are big on their image. Everyone's covering something up, even if it's small. I can do some research. See how these schools might manipulate statistics, hide unsavory details. Elaine and Chelsea stare at Devon. What? I'm just waiting for the inevitable joke. What? I like math. He has no joke. Devon, I must say, I'm a little disappointed. We should start with small stuff like ignoring alcohol abuse, then build up. Show how easy it is for universities to downplay the big stuff. Sexual assault, violence, riots. Sounds like we already have a solid outline. If everyone wants to chip in in the research on this one... I'd be more than grateful. On it. Me too. I don't trust Sirius, Devin, but I'm in too. Hours later, after Sarah and Devin have gone home, Elaine sits with her laptop, fingers flying across the keyboard. Her face remains relaxed and untroubled. Maya Angelou sits near Elaine. Chelsea walks in holding two cups of steaming hot tea. One cup of lavender blend for you and one cup of double caffeinated English breakfast for me. Elaine remains engrossed in her writing. She stops for a moment and grabs the mug from Chelsea's hand without so much as a glance away from the screen. Thanks, Chels. I appreciate it. Honestly, I don't know how you can possibly stay up this late without caffeine in your bloodstream. It's probably because I drink a cocktail of justice with a splash of vindication every second of the day. <laughs> That's my lady. Conqueror of evil, defender of the oppressed. How's the writing going? Only one thing I'm trying to figure out right now. Elaine looks to Angelou, then back to her laptop. I think I can figure this one out on my own. Angelou vanishes as Chelsea sits beside Elaine. I'm sure you can. All the same, would you like me to look over it? Go for it. Chelsea looks over her shoulder and slowly reads through. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, I like the part about IT departments neglecting to compile data on students trafficking hate group websites. And you describe some of the already known cover-ups articulately and objectively. Yikes, that might be too much of a finger point at Gerald right there. Which part? The part where you mention him by name? I do not. You pasted in a picture of him next to it. Oh, that was just for catharsis. I was going to delete it. Wait, did you caption his picture? I don't always get publicly accused of rape, but when I do, I get away with it. What? I can joke. I can meme. I can make meme jokes. Your Photoshop skills are very impressive. I just needed some motivation. Anytime I get tired, I just look at his face again. It works like caffeine. I would understand that if it didn't involve repeatedly seeing his face. One second. Let me fix it. Elaine goes back through and changes a few sentences. She then deletes the most interesting Gerald in the world meme. How's that? Looks better to me. Good. Yep. I think you really hit the rapist on the head with this one. I sure hope so. The meeting about the protest should be a success, too. (laughs) I hope so. You really think the article's good? Yes, Lainey, the article is fine. I know you pour your heart and soul into it, but you don't need to be a perfectionist. You can always go back and make changes. I can help. You're my real brain friend, Chels. Um, sure, weirdo. <laughs> Let's shift focus back to the protest. You're right. That should definitely take priority since it actually has a deadline. You, Sarah, and Devin have been amazing. Everything should run smoothly. Chelsea gives another yawn, then sips at her tea. Elaine continues to type away at her blog post. Chelsea begins to droop her head and blink her watery eyes. She then slowly drops her head down and rests her cheek across her forearm in sleep. Elaine continues to type for a few moments before noticing. She looks over and softly pats Chelsea on the head. Elaine, Chelsea, Devin, and Sarah sit in an empty classroom. Drinks and snacks line a table by the wall. An outline is written on the chalkboard with different bullet points for discussion, such as rumors, allegations, Title IX, witnesses, protests, and removal. People should start pouring in within the next few minutes. Hopefully we get a good turnout. We have a few minutes until six. Anything else we need to go over? No, I think we pretty much have everything covered. Chelsea begins to twiddle her thumbs in anticipation. Elaine reads over some notes with Sarah, and Devin stares out of the window. One male student comes in and heads straight for the refreshment table before seating himself in the back corner. This one dude better not be it. I think he's just here for the cheese anyway. Relax. Don't tell me you've never heard of fashionably late. He's right. There's no need to panic. Minutes go by, and the room remains quiet and empty. No need to panic. They all try to distract themselves. Eventually... More students begin to file in, slowly at first and then in a flood. At ten minutes past the intended start time, the room is filled with some students standing in the back. Thank you all for coming and hearing us out. I'm Elaine, and this is Sarah. We wrote the blog articles that I'm assuming got you here today. This is Chelsea Wu, the campus LGBTQ coordinator. Chelsea smiles and waves. And this is Devin. A good friend that has helped us put this together. Devin stands and curtsies. As I said in the email, this will be an open discussion, and we encourage everyone to suggest ideas if you have any. So without any further ado, Sarah, will you start us off? 
All right. I guess just to jump into it, if you've come here this evening, it's because you oppose Dean Wagner acquiring the position of president. Some of you may have been hurt by him, some duped. Maybe some of you just don't like him or find him creepy. All valid reasons to be here. I personally have been hurt by him. If anyone wants to share something, please feel free. But only if you feel comfortable sharing it. A hand in the back goes up. Over there, in the blue hoodie. A female student in the back recounts stories of Gerald approaching her and hitting on her after multiple flat denials. The student goes on to describe filing a complaint on him. A few students nod while others are audible about their agreement. Does anyone else have anything they would like to share? We got another taker over there. Devin points to a male student across the room. The student explains how he is an EMT on campus and that Gerald tried to intimidate him into telling him what Maggie said at the scene of the fire. Has anyone else been intimidated by Gerald? Hands throughout the room are raised in the air. So here's what we know. Most of us here have at least heard rumors about him. Some of you may have even been targeted or assaulted by him. When it comes to women on campus, he intimidates, beguiles, and blackmails. We're here to at least put up a fight about allowing someone like that to be school president. What we'd like to do is set up some sort of protest. Something to at least slow everyone down and question what is going on. If we don't make our voices heard, he will inevitably take control of the school without resistance. Who knows what'll happen then? We are proposing a protest on Wednesday, two days before the inauguration. If you can't make it due to obligations, we don't blame you. But try to get as many people as you can to attend. Students whisper and shift in their chairs throughout the room. If we could have a show of hands for those who think they couldn't attend. Almost everyone in the room raises a hand. If anyone has any ideas they'd like to pitch, we'd love to hear them. A couple of students raise their hands and propose forming a group in charge of making signs. Other students volunteer to help them with the process. That would be extremely helpful. More students volunteer to recruit people and to subtly advertise the event in some of their groups and clubs. The more the merrier, especially if they agree with and support this cause. We have a list by the table if you want to leave your name and email. We will be sending out another email tomorrow to remind you the place and time. Again, we'd like to thank you for coming and look forward to your support in helping to try to make the school a safer place for all individuals. Students start to shuffle out, forming a line by the door to sign their names and email addresses. Due to the number of students, it takes a few minutes before the classroom empties. That seemed to go well. People are pretty enthusiastic about the protest. I think we'll get a good crowd. The amount of people that came brings light to the gravity of the situation. I'm honestly more horrified than before. And I didn't even think that was possible. That I can agree with. I'm going to be thinking about this all day tomorrow at work with him. Right on the other side of the wall. Ugh. They clean up the food and beverages and begin to walk out of the room. Elaine grabs the email list on her way out and looks at it, encouraged by the amount of names that are written down. Elaine stands at the electronics counter at Big Box. It's early afternoon and the store is quiet. She drums her fingernails against the glossy countertop. Devin works behind her, boxing up LCD television screens that had previously been on display. This is terrible. She turns around and rests her back against the edge of the counter, mindful that she doesn't lean on her walkie-talkie. What's up with the TVs? These bad boys are defective. Is something wrong with them? I guess the LCD deteriorates in sunlight faster than most LCDs. Like, really fast. Like, 
vampire in sunlight fast. Who puts televisions outside? Someone might put it near a window, I guess. We gotta destroy order, so they're just going out to the dumpster. I could put one in your car if you'd like. Thanks, but I think I'll pass. Chelsea's apartment is too small. And another distraction is the last thing I need in my life. Come on, they're smart TVs. They'll give you infinite knowledge and unmatched power. Nice try, Serpent, but this Eve knows better. Might as well move along to Adam. Speak of the devil. Chuck turns a corner and starts down the DVD aisle, heading straight for the electronics counter. Here we go. Pineapple girl, look alive. We might get a rush any minute. And Devin, hurry up and finish what you're doing so I can make you do something else. Hey boss, check out these TVs. Yes, yes, I heard all about them. What a shame. A shame is an understatement. We could have sold these and half the customers would have stuck them in their basements and never known the difference. Corporate sent a destroy order. They make the rules. Oh, don't I know it. I always say, follow corporate's rules. For example, their rule to destroy large electronics like these instructs me to box them up and put the boxes out in the dumpster. End of rule. And I always follow the rules. Trash pickup isn't for another three days. Right? They'll just be sitting out there, perfectly good basement TVs, waiting to be hauled off by the garbage collectors, presumably. Though, the policy doesn't require us to check the credentials of the hauler. You know what? It's, it's probably going to be a busy day, so I need you and Snow Queen to get those TVs out back and then stay in the front of the store the rest of your shift. In fact, you can probably leave an hour early tonight if you get enough work done at the front. Wow, thanks. You deserve a mug proclaiming your bestness. I actually kind of need the hours. Shut it, Pineapple Girl. You don't get to decide how long you work. I have to keep the company's finances as a top priority. Any more guff from you and I'll send you home now. Sorry, sir. And stay out of the supply closet. I'm keeping my lunch in there until I find out who's been eating my applesauce. Check, Chuck. Chuck nods stiffly at them and walks away. You've got a forked ton. He's totally going to take a TV. <laughs> you played him perfectly. Diminished guilt connected with his beloved corporate policies. Think you could convince Gerald to resign? Whoa, don't get carried away now. My powers only work on humans. Monsters are immune, sadly. What a tragedy. Are you worried about tomorrow? No. I mean, yes. But I think that it's a reasonable feeling. I'm used to being worried when it's something I believe in. I get it. We have a lot of support already. You should feel proud of the amount of people you've reached. I'm trying to break through to everyone, though. Everything takes baby steps. I didn't learn how to manipulate Chuck in a day. I'm a quick study. I didn't actually need the hours, you know. Ah, you're a saucy lass. An elderly woman approaches the electronics counter. A customer. <clears throat> a customer. You handle this one. I'm going to go put those TVs in the dumpster and then see how many times Chuck checks on them to plan his grand theft. On the day of the protest, Elaine, Chelsea, and Sarah are on campus, resting on a knoll by the courtyard. The sky is slightly overcast. They wait for students to meet them before they make their stand. Devin walks over from the other side of the grassy field. Almost ready? I think we're all more than ready. 
Definitely. Look, some students are already showing up. She points across the field where a small mass of students gathers and heads over. They finally reach the knoll and everyone except Elaine begins to embrace in hugs and handshakes. Elaine addresses the crowd. Thank you for coming. We're just going to wait a little bit longer for more people before we start. If anyone has any ideas on Clever Chance, you can run them by me. A few students approach Chelsea with ideas. An even larger group approaches, this time carrying handfuls of signs. Maggie and Riley are among them. This is amazing. If you want to distribute the signs, we can begin marching. Everybody grab a sign! The signs are handed out, and they begin to approach the student union. The messages are brandished above their heads in words big enough for passersby to read. Some read, Student Safety First, Resident Predator, and This Campus Is Not a Hunting Ground. They stop in the courtyard. People begin chanting, I'm a survivor and Jerry is scary. Other students and faculty walking on campus stop to ask questions about what is going on. The mass of people seems to spontaneously grow in a chorus of defiance. I can't believe this. I know. This is incredible. I have to hand it to you guys. You killed it. You really killed it. Oh, Devin. You called us guys and used violent language. She is not going to let this go. This is not the appropriate place, but we will talk later. The courtyard grows a little bit darker as more signs are lifted overhead and the clouds turn a deeper gray. Somewhere from the back of the crowd, a hush penetrates the chanting. The group seems to sway, shudder, and then split in two as some commotion takes people by surprise. Sarah looks at Elaine. He's coming. We have to confront him eventually. Sarah, if you want to get out of here, I wouldn't blame you. I think I'm just going to find another place in the crowd. Chelsea, let me talk to him. I'll take the blame. Sarah leaves. Elaine catches sight of Gerald in the crowd. He makes his way up to both her and Chelsea. What's the meaning of this, Harper? What does it look like? We're voicing our concerns. Must I enlighten you about the repercussions of going against someone such as myself? What power do you have against all of these people? We are the university, not you. You should put a stop to this now before it escalates out of your control. My control? I did not force or even ask a single person to be here. And I want it to escalate. Everyone wants it to escalate. The bigger it is, the more it will get noticed. The crowd now begins to consume them. Gerald fights against them, shouldering to remain close to Elaine and Chelsea. This is your last chance, Harper. Remember what happened to you last time? You're now pitting both you and your friends against me. Are you really going to take on all of us? She looks around to indicate the size of the crowd. Are you going to expel everyone who questions you? Going to take on everyone here? I don't have to take on everyone. Gerald grins wildly. He turns his menacing smile to Chelsea. Chelsea Woo. You are dismissed from your job and relieved of all duties. You are barred from campus. Please make an appointment with Sydney to collect your things. As for you, Harper, don't think I'm not taking names of your little supporters. Chelsea and Elaine watch him as he walks away. He turns to look at them one last time, both glaring and taunting. Students slowly swallow the space around him until the only thing left visible is a diabolical curl of pearly teeth. Then he vanishes completely. 
Chelsea stands there, dumbstruck, Elaine wide-eyed. The clouds let loose with rain. Dayton Writers Movement presents Unwritten. Executive Producers Chris Burnside, Megan Burnside. Producers Anna Adamy, Carrie Zahn. Lead Writers Anna Adamy, Chris Burnside. Story by Anna Adamy, Chris Burnside, Amanda D., Joey Ferber, Jana Gomes, Kathy Holt, Cece Hutton, Stephen Kallenberg, Grace Poppy, Tavis Taylor. Assistant Director, Megan Burnside. Sound Engineer, Dan Seavers. Theme song by Joey Ferber, Kelsey Mills, and Ian Mortensen. For more Unwritten, visit our website at unwrittenpodcast.com. everyone, this is Jordan Lopez, voice of Chelsea Wu. I wanted to thank you all for listening and remind you to rate and review Unwritten on iTunes. Every review helps us show higher in the rankings. Be sure to follow us on Facebook or Instagram and Twitter at DWM Presents. Thank you!